First and foremost, we'd like to wish all of our listeners a happy holiday season. For this episode of Open Swim, we wanted to return to an episode from 2017 during Christmas in July. In this episode, we discussed retail trends that are still relevant conversation for today and conducted a very special interview with the curator of a Christmas story house and museum right here in Cleveland, Ohio. Without further ado, let's return to our scheduled broadcast. Season's greetings, podcast listeners. No, do not adjust your station. This is not an old recording. We're actually doing a special edition Christmas in July episode. We are here as we are each episode with your team of podcast broadcasters, Hallie Bram Kogelshots, Eric Kogelshots, Brian Andrew Jasinski, and Jennifer Cho Salaf. So welcome. We're so glad you're here with us today. And we're going to talk a little bit about things that we should be thinking about, all of us that work in some facet of the holiday business, whether you're on the marketing side, the retail side, something with travel, hospitality. There are so many different ways that this touches um, each and everyone's lives, and we're here to talk a little bit about that today. And later on, we even have a special guest, so stay tuned for that. Over the last few years, obviously, there's no surprise here. Retail is changing. It's changing very quickly. The good news is after last year's retail season, we were seeing an uptick in sales. But we wanted to explore some of the trends that we should expect for holiday 2017 and maybe think a little bit about what retailers can do to be more competitive at the local, national, and even global level. So Eric's been researching some of the trends. Um, You want to talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing? The first trend is the collapse of retail environments. We saw this with Macy's and Sears as Mm. they started to close locations. And now the evolution of malls, because a lot of malls are closing, the stores within them are closing. So they're just changing their whole approach, which has presented a new opportunity for retailers to create these showrooms. And that has become a a main focus for them. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, you know, showrooming was something that came up a few years ago. And you were seeing a lot of retailers try and figure out how do we mitigate the flow of traffic that's going to our online sites. And what you were finding was that sales associates in a lot of these stores that work off a commission were concerned about the fact that they had shoppers coming in to look at goods, but they might actually purchase them online, which meant that they were missing out on the commission. So for a lot of retailers, they were trying to figure out how do we respond to this new omni-channel selling environment and how can we use our stores to be a tool for us to actually build the customer relationship, deepen their involvement with our specific store um, or particular lines or whatever the case might be, and whether or not they were shopping in store or online, make it a part of the customer journey and a part of the experience that makes their brand overall more valuable. So I think that there are retailers that are doing this well. Um, I think that, you know, particularly in the luxury retail segment, you're seeing some things there that harkens back to a previous podcast that we had done where Brian talked about sort of like shopping his sport and uh, the fact that, you know, that you, you like to go on the journey, you like to touch and feel, right? I mean, that was one of the things that um, I think both for you as well as a lot of our listeners, um, and I'll say for myself as well, you know, I, I would miss that if I couldn't go into a store and actually touch and feel and see things put together and interact with sales um, associates and whatnot. Absolutely. Definitely. So I think that, you know, at this point, you know, there are a lot of other retailers that are trying to figure out what is their version of showrooming. Do they have something else that's happening in store, Um, whether it's pops of animation or exclusive events or, um, you know, 
in you know the the apparel world it could be trunk shows in the cosmetics world you know no surprise there it could be guest cosmetic artists or you know artistry events or something like that um, but for show for retailers where showrooming is not really an option they're trying to figure out what the next evolution of their in-store experience looks like so for example right now you have Sears that's recalibrating on their um, product makeup because they're starting to go back to their roots and, and focus more on appliances um, rather than some of the other merchandise categories that they have had in the mix over the last you know few decades. So for them, it's it's you know what are we offering in the stores as well as you know what can we do to act as your experts when it comes to appliance purchasing. For other retailers, you know, it, it's going to take a variety of shapes, but you are going to start to see a lot of, especially during the holidays, a lot of more creative ways of getting you in the door. And I think that's actually really fun because, you know, who doesn't love to be a part of the holiday shopping fun? You know, maybe you're not a Black Friday person, but to be able to go into a store and actually have an entertainment type experience in addition to going in to purchase something. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Just to piggyback on that entertainment experience, Hallie, that you talked about, I did a little stint at Anthropology, and something that not only our store, but stores around the country did to kind of welcome customers into the stores is to have these fashion shows. We had holiday fashion shows. We had spring-summer fashion shows, and um, where actually it was staff from Anthropology that would be the models, and we would it would be an invite-only, you know, exclusive event that we'd invite, um, you know, regular shoppers and also maybe new people that we wanted to kind of bring into the fold. And it was really fun because they got to experience and preview all the collections that were coming up for the season and just be a part of this collective experiential occasion. And it was always themed, really festive. There would be food and drink afterwards and, of course, an opportunity to shop. Absolutely. Truly, at the beginning of the, the store experience, really showrooming is nothing new. I mean, you think about it, and I think we talked about this in a previous podcast as well, the fact that, you know, Dior was known for, you know, displaying his dresses and even when he came to, you know, developing the new look, you know, having it on a runway. And women were not buying, you know, the clothes right then and there. They may be putting in their orders, um, but there was nothing to shop. The reason I like the idea of showrooming is because it really means making all of your retail environments the flagship store the flagship store experience. So they're gonna invest more dollars in it. The customers are gonna to wanna to spend more time there. I personally love going to the flagship stores in New York and in different larger metropolitan areas. So I think you'll see people going to those spaces, spending more time, and then maybe spending more money online. You may have heard about Casper, which is a online mattress company, and they just opened the flagship store in New York, and the whole point there is just for a showrooming. So it's just, it, takes it to a different level for the customer and it really focuses on that experience. So Eric, why don't you talk to us a little bit about some of the other trends that you're seeing? So the second trend that we saw was analog to digital bridges. So that could take the form of mergers or acquisitions. And an example of that is when Amazon bought Whole Foods. So that digital enterprise purchasing more of the analog experience in Whole Foods, now they've opened the doors to produce delivery, food delivery, the prepared foods, and also warehousing. The third one that we saw was the idea of empowering small businesses, and that can be done through hyperlocal and influencer marketing. So hyperlocal we've seen with the introduction of Google Posts. So now brands are able to post right on their Google My Business page, 
and that content then can appear directly on Google search or on the maps results pages. So it's a great way for those brands to have that hyperlocal connection and then also share their content. Yeah, you know, there's a really great tool that we've been we've been following for a while here at Shark and Minnow, and it's called the Gram List. If you guys aren't looking at this yet, you should probably sign up for their newsletter. I think what's really neat about this tool, particularly for anybody who's involved in influencer marketing, is that they focus on a really important segment of influencers. And these are the people that aren't the celebrities, but the people that are sort of like a tier or two below them in followers. So right in that like 10K follower range, what's nice about that is it gives you the opportunity to get a little bit more niche and definitely have more authenticity with your audience because these are real people um, for the most part. These are not, you know, people that make their, their living, you know, as social media celebrities. These are real people that just happen to put out great content and have a really wide follower base. So things like this are really great tools for retailers or anyone who's looking to get a better understanding of the hyper-local influencers that are in touch with their audience. So the fourth trend that we saw is artificial intelligence. So we're already seeing that in the marketplace now with Google Alexa, Apple Surrey, Amazon Echo, but specifically in the retail environment, we are seeing it with Macy's with their platform called Macy's On Call. So it's powered by IBM Watson and it allows the customers to be able to find product information and navigate the stores much more easily. So it's a great way to capitalize on some of that machine learning and knowledge in the retail environment. What exactly are they doing? This is mainly for in-store, but it's kind of connecting the offline online approach. So it's encouraging people to use their mobile phones when they're going through the retail environment. So they can pull up the on-call mobile app and then find more information, and explore themselves. So it doesn't require someone from the store to assist them. It's more self-assistance through the environment. So there's obviously advantages and disadvantages there because you're not connecting directly with someone at the store, but you're able to get quickly through the store to find information you want. The fifth trend that we're seeing is voice activation, triggers, sensors, and automation. A lot of retailers have been testing various beacons or triggers in their retail environment um, with great success, but it's really exciting to see what Amazon is doing with their Amazon Go pilot store. So they have sensors and cameras throughout the store so that when people are purchasing things at the Amazon Go store, they actually don't even need to check out. They can just quickly walk out and they don't even need to pull out their wallet. The sixth trend is focus on machines. Amazon has been testing drones for quite a while now in anticipation of delivery, but they most recently patented a multi-level beehive tower so that all those drones could be housed in one space and then deployed when needed. So it just becomes this huge airport just for drones. So you're going to start to see different brands rethink their approach for supply chain management and delivery. That's really sci-fi, completely frightening and fascinating all at the same time, I think. I like it. The The drawings for the patent are so creepy looking. They really <laughs> are sci-fi. The seventh trend that we saw is really focused on cybersecurity. So there have been a lot of cybersecurity attacks recently, uh, WPP, Maersk, and Merck. So a lot of companies are trying to figure out ways to protect themselves. A, a brand that's doing that successfully is Amazon. Um, and they did that through acquiring a cybersecurity firm just so that they could help to improve 
the protection of data on the Amazon Web Services cloud servers. So we'll see how other brands start to adopt more security into their platform. The eighth and final trend that we saw is focused on blockchain technology. And we spoke about this in an earlier episode and actually referenced Walmart. So they've been testing this out for a while now using blockchain so that they can track the origination, the factory, how the product is processed, expiration dates, and the whole shipping journey throughout the supply chain. And they've actually recently announced that they've been able to share some of those results and they're saying it's very encouraging to what they're doing. So they really are able to increase traceability and transparency. Interesting. So yeah, those are eight of the holiday retail trends that we're seeing for the 2017-2018 season. Well, thanks, Eric. Thanks for talking about all these trends. I think that there is a lot to look forward to in, in as far as there's gonna, it's going to be a different kind of holiday. We're going to see a lot of different things. doesn't mean we're like all of them, but I will say that I, I do look forward to seeing what retailers do um, to augment that showrooming experience. So if, if people are going to go in and use the retail environment as a means of showrooming and, and potentially buying online versus in-store, making that experience more valuable and romanticizing the shopping process a bit more. So I think that that could be potentially exciting, but what do you guys think? What are you responding to, things you're looking forward to, really don't like, hoping never to see? I have to say, you know, as Eric went through the trends, I personally, you know, it's like I want to be excited by them, and I want to, you know, I, and this is in no way to... Uh, downplay some of the incredible technological advances that are happening you know just the idea of these drones being deployed in a in a from a mothership in a sense is incredible um, but I think this and I don't think this will come as any shock to anyone here or to those who have listened to earlier podcasts where I do talk about the thrill of the hunt a lot of these leave me very cold being a designer and somebody who's always loved retail I've worked retail um, and always loving the experience of the um, in-store holiday decorations and what the identity suite for that year's packaging was going to be. This all seems to inherently not be in a line with what I look forward to in, as a shopper. Does it feel removed to you? Is that part of why you think you're having the reaction? It does. It does. I feel perhaps it's the loss of community that shopping is. You know, I, I think there is that hustle and bustle of the holiday season and the energy of people with their bags and um, you know, it sounds so cliche, but, um, you know, people rushing home with their treasures kind of idea. Um, the idea that, you know, a lot more of the, um, that experience is done, you know, privately at home. And, you know, I know, I know in this world it's about convenience, but, you know, to me, I know I don't feel like it's the holiday season until I've gone out and I've experienced the, um, the shopping and you know and I'm somebody who really thinks through what I get for people you know I I've never been one of those people who understood those who just go on <laughs> Christmas Eve and um, you know just knock everything out in a day like I'm, I'm all about like figuring out who gets what and what am I looking for for them and, and I it's not that online shopping is completely off the board for me you know I, I do utilize it um, but in a much lower ratio probably than most people so um, yeah I would say that I agree with you in regard to the, the AI trend. I, there's definitely a loss of community. The idea that you are going into a, an environment like Macy's and you're expected to 
find out all this information on an app when there should be somebody who's there to be able to provide this information and assist you as a shopper is completely preposterous to me. And I think, again, this comes down to my experience as somebody who worked retail and, and now as somebody who works as a designer. And we have clients, which could be the quote-unquote customers, you know, and I think that's that all is connected. And I just feel it's so singular. And um, and I would, I would say that the trend that I like the most would be you know, the voice activation triggers, sensors, automation. And, and the reason being for a point that I think Callie made earlier, which some of these focus on the idea of removing you from the experience, whereas the idea of the automation, the voice activation, the triggers, they, they serve as a stimulus to pull you deeper into the experience. And if you mash it up with something like augmented reality, you could walk into the doors, a trigger sets off, and then boom, something is displayed that's beautifully designed and it reflects the, the brand. So you could do something very innovative and creative in that way that still doesn't take you out of the experience. There could be a sense of um, loss for community because it's such a one-on-one experience, but it is something that's closer to the idea of a showrooming experience. I totally agree with Brian. I'm such a traditionalist and call me old school when it comes to the holidays. I just, like Brian said, that sense of community and I feel like that shopping experience, you really take away that personalization. I personally do not enjoy online shopping because I like, I like seeing what I am going to buy and I like imagining myself. I like to try it on. I just, I don't, I'm not one of those people who will buy three of the same kind, three different sizes, and then go home and try it on. I want to try it on there, and um, if I like it, I, I know within seconds, and I'll, I'll, I'll buy it. And I and want, I like the energy. Yeah, holiday shopping isn't holiday shopping if you're not going in person. With the lights and the... The lights and the Christmas music and... The crowds. Yeah, completely <laughs> agree with Sometimes you. Sometimes the good and the bad. And yeah, those those, those crowds could aisles. be nasty, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all, I don't mean to, like I said earlier, romanticize it, but yeah, there is, um, there is something to be said about that, about that rush. And it's the one time of the year, you know, you're going to be standing in a line and, um, you know, but there's a, there's almost a traditionalist, uh, approach to the idea. It's, it's magical. Feliz Navidad. So we thought we'd do something a little bit special for this episode since it's all about the holidays and looking forward to what we all have in the near future. I know it feels like, wow, it's July. Like, how close are we to the holidays? Well, it's right around the corner, um, especially for people that are in the holiday business. So we thought that we'd have a special guest with us today, and we're excited to welcome Stephen Intermill, who is the curator of the Christmas Story House here in Cleveland, Ohio. So welcome, Stephen. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Cleveland has a, a tie to A Christmas Story. For all of you that um, love the movie that might not be here in um, our region, the movie was, at least in part, shot here. And there are some really fun stories about the shooting of that film. And because of our history with the movie itself um, and, and the house actually being here in the Tremont neighborhood, we have the official Christmas Story Museum here in Cleveland. Is that right? We sure do. 
So a Christmas Story house is a uh, tourist attraction in Tremont, which is a like popular neighborhood here in Cleveland. And it attracts about 80,000 people a year that wow. want to go and experience like the life of Ralphie. <laughs> <laughs> and who doesn't want to experience the life of Ralphie, right? <laughs> yeah, really. It's um, People love it. It's a, a really family-friendly kind of environment. So we have the house that was used for the filming of the outside scenes and some indoor scenes. You can tell if the windows or doors are open. And then we have a museum, which I'm in charge of, where we have just memorabilia from the film on display. Artifacts like Ralphie's BB gun, Randy's snowsuit that he's wearing when he can't put his arms down. <laughs> I just, just last week I installed the uh, mailbox that Ralphie gets his decoder pin in That's into cool. the museum because it just it just couldn't be outside any longer. Just too much wear and tear. Well, talk to us a little bit about how you got involved with this. So the museum opened when? It all started in uh, 2007. Okay. And it was the gift shop and the museum were in the same place. But in 2013, it expanded to the museum got its own space the gift shop had its own space, and of course the house has always been the house. I started in 2013 just as a uh, just somebody answering the phones, and now I'm the curator. So. Wow. Did you um, ever curate a museum or anything for that matter before you came there? Or how did you get into this? Did you have a specific passion for the Christmas Story movie? Well, I was a staff graphic designer essentially, so, and it just became a thing where I started freshening up the museum and then eventually just my uh overall control of the museum got to be so much that the only thing for me to do left was be curator it sounds like there are a lot of really exciting artifacts from the movie that are there but you also have experiences as well so you know i know that you know there have been contests in the past where you can actually win and stay at the Christmas Story house, you know, overnight. Is that, you know, a big part of what you do or what you're trying to do as a museum? Are you going in this direction of events? Well, now you can actually rent the house overnight. It actually has been really taking off. Uh, you can rent the loft area, which is the third floor, which was never converted to look like part of the film. But you can also, uh, but you also get the whole house. So you can sleep in Andy and Ralphie's bed. You can open gifts in front of the tree. You can go play in the backyard. So. That's so cool. What That's is awesome. So do most people, I'm assuming they want to rent it over the holidays, but is it kind of a year-round? Like, oh, yeah. Do have weddings there? Or We're almost completely events? booked for uh, July. Wow. So I think there's two more dates still available. Wow. That's amazing. Well, there's such a, like, a huge fan base for the film. Um, and I'm going to out myself here. I've actually never seen the entire movie before. Uh, what? I know. I know. Unacceptable. Holiday to leave the room. Hallie. I know. I know. But you know what happens is like, you know, every year there's like a Christmas story marathon that's on every year. And, you know, when, you know, before I had kids, you know, I would find myself, I was always doing something when I was off of work. So like, I'd be like watching a scene and then I'd be like, making something in the kitchen, you know, we'd be cooking or we'd be doing something. And I just don't feel like I've ever watched it start to finish. So I feel like this is the year that this is the year that I have to do it. I have to watch it. But I know from everyone that I talk to that, you know, people have such a, a passionate relationship with this film. It's just a part of their holiday experience year after year. Why do you think that is? Why do you think this particular Holly film 
you know, struck such a chord? It pretty much uh, captures the great American Christmas traditions all in one. And, uh, I mean, what kid can't really relate to being bullied, uh, who can't really relate to having something that they just just can't seem to get? Uh, you know, everybody's got a crazy dad, you know, like... <laughs> So I think it just uh, everybody sees themselves in the film. So many Christmas specials talk about the actual you know, Christmas Day or you know the events happening. And if you think about it, that movie, really Christmas Day, it's the last few moments of the movie. So I think what it really is uniquely captures is the anticipation of Christmas as a kid. Um, I know when I watch it, it's, it's so incredible the way that film uh, suddenly I remember the feeling and just the senses of that night before Christmas, that going to bed, that waking up, the smell of, like, whenever I smell um, sautéing celery and onions and carrots, like, to me, that's Christmas morning because it's my mom getting stuffing ready. When you see his mom getting Christmas dinner ready in the morning, again, that's just such a sensory memory point. Um, so I, I do think that's what that movie is really unique. Yeah, and it, it really is down to earth too there's yeah. a, there's a grit to it's it it's really midwestern too. yeah like i think yeah. that is the one thing from the scenes i have seen that really was impressed upon me like you see a lot of christmas stories like you know miracle on 34th streets all about new york mm-hmm. or you know even home alone like that's so iconically chicago like it just feels like yes. another place but a christmas story feels like you know the holiday seasons that i was used to seeing growing up and you know you're see, I mean, you're actually seeing, you know, places like Higby's department store, which is an, a Cleveland icon. Um, but beyond that, just the way that the, it's scripted, and you know, why do you think that is? Is there like, a, was there a connection to Cleveland prior to selecting the location? Well, sort of. The film is based on the writings of a guy named Gene Shepard, and he grew up in Hammond, Indiana. They wanted to go film in Hammond, but it didn't quite look right. But Tremont did so they found that they could do the Higby's department store scenes here and then it was an extra bonus that they could do like the neighborhood shots you know with the working steel mills in the background and right before we got on air actually you were talking about why they chose Higby's can you share a little bit about that with our listeners well Higby's were the only people that were like smart enough to say hey of course we could you know, keep our Christmas stuff up so we could be filmed in a major, like, motion picture. So no other department stores. Like, they got rejected by everyone they asked. So huh. Wow. So they were the only place, they, that was the only place they could go. <laughs> yeah. Really. Wow, amazing. Yeah, and, you know, the Higby's department store, although it no longer exists, um, for people that come and tour a Christmas Story house here in Cleveland, you can still go into that building, and it is a beautiful location. Um, it ha- houses the Jack Casino now, but a lot of the original character that you would recognize from the movie is still something that you can see at you know the former Higby's location at Public Square. So you know the chandeliers are still there, the ceilings, all of that. Um, all the so cool the, little like Art Deco nuances, which yeah. really makes it a, a spectacular building. Yeah. yeah, and at Christmas the casino recreates the displays, correct? Sometimes. Last year we took over a window okay. and we did an uh, like homage to a Christmas story. Ah, fragile. It must be Italian. Well, I think that says fragile. Oh yeah. When people come to the house, what are the things that they're most excited to see? Well, one of the things that they're 
always ask about is where's the damper? The damper that they use in the film is just a stage prop. So we had a local metal worker actually build us like a replica of the damper that we put in. <laughs> but, you know, another thing that people do is they go under uh, the sink and they say, Daddy's going to kill Ralphie. <laughs> oh, that's that's extremely popular. Uh, they I like my to son did that when we visited the Christmas Story house. That's that the first thing he went and did. <laughs> and then he went underneath the That's fantastic. <laughs> did he stand at the uh, top of the steps? He stood at the top of the frown. steps. He went to the bathroom, you know, when Ralphie gets soap in his oh, mouth. Oh, you have to do that. Um, and then the telephone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we got some pictures of the kids on the telephone. Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Do you always have a bar of life, boy? We do. And... Uh, do they still make that, or do you have to do you have to find that on eBay? You can buy it in our gift shop. That's amazing. That's <laughs> genius marketing. <laughs> but you'll notice that like the Life Boy soap that we have on display in the bathroom always has little teeth marks in it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so people are taking photos with it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Gross. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess maybe the soap, like it's for the bacteria. I don't know. I haven't tried it. Oh boy, oh boy, would you look at that? Would you look at that? What is it? It's a leg. What is it? Well, it's a leg, you know, like in a statue. Statue? Yeah, statue. Yeah, statue. Trying to insinuate herself between us and the statue. Holy smoke, would you? Do you know what this is? This is a lamp. It was indeed a lamp. What are some of your, like, you know, what are some of the craziest things that you've seen at a house that people have wanted to do? So we hear about the popular things people want to do, but what are some crazy requests that you get? Because people are passionate about this movie. I see a lot of leg lamp tattoos. You know, people like to stand in front of the leg lamp in the window and show off their <laughs> fresh tattoo that they just got. So that's kind of wild. You know, people don't really do anything too crazy. They just kind of like go and just like explore it. And the whole house is essentially interactive. So anything people could do, it really isn't that weird. So, like, it's not, I mean, I haven't been there yet. I know that the rest of the team has been there, but tell us a little bit about what you're able to do when you go in the house. So, like, if I were to go there, I can actually touch everything? Inside the house, yes. Inside my museum, no. So, you know, inside the house, we make it, like, completely interactive, like, down to Red Rider books, you know, on Ralphie and Randy's shelves to, uh, there's a globe, so you can look around and see where you came from. You know, you can use your decoder pin that we leave in the bathroom Smart. and uh, stand at the top of the steps, frown. That's <laughs> a uh, extremely <laughs> that's an extremely popular thing. A lot of people like to come in costumes. You'll see people with like ten year old Christmas story T shirts that they're wearing, like T shirts that just they're gone from the market. But, wow. But the fan at like the Ralphie fanatics still have them. So. I think that's what's, what's so wonderful about this house is that most you know, historical homes or iconic homes, you go, you can't touch anything. Yeah. And that's what I was so delighted by when we went. I mean, you know, we're from California and we grew up, my husband and I grew up watching 
um, the Christmas story. And then we got our kids watch. So every year it's like a tradition. So when we moved to Cleveland and, you know, we realized, oh my gosh, the Christmas story house is here. That was like one of the first places we went. And of course we took all the pictures outside of the house and on the steps and the stoop. But to go in, we didn't realize you can actually touch the stuff. You can sit in the chairs and, yeah. you know, I thought that was so great. So we have wonderful. it wired up now so you can hear, uh, the old man yelling from the basement. <laughs> and, uh, little orphan Annie like radio shows play uh-huh. out of our radio so the owner of a Christmas story house he's a really fun person and he really wants people to share the same kind of excitement that he has for the film there so it's uh he he really uh, kind of pushes us to make it like just more exciting more fun more interactive so, so on that note, what are, what are some of the things you're working on now that, that visitors can look forward to when they visit? Well, um, I have a new display going into the museum where I'm going to put the Flash Gordon and Ming the Merciless costumes because that was a scene that was cut from the film. Oh, wow. You'll see in the credits that they're actually listed, the actors are, but there's no Flash Gordon. Huh. And the footage is gone, but we have the costumes, so... I'm gonna put those on display really yeah, soon. That's, really that's cool. fascinating. That's cool. Yeah. By the time do this airs, do you have airs, like scripts of what those scenes were? Like we do, and we've talked about maybe like recreating them out of like a uh, maybe like Funko like doll pop vinyls, just just to see how it would have been shot and see how it would have played out. Was cool. it was it one of the for Alfie's infamous fantasy sequences? They were. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm going to rewrite it. <laughs> Brian's also going to star in it. Yeah. 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 So this episode is Christmas in July, and I think it's it's serendipitous that we're talking about this because you guys have a big event coming up we July sure 22nd. Do. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit more about that and what's going to happen? So Patty Johnson, the head elf, the one that everybody knows from yelling, quit dragging your feet, kid, she's going to be there doing her thing, which is essentially like signing autographs and just meeting kids, yelling at them if they can take it, or being really sweet to them if they can't. And she sets up inside our, our museum every once in a while. And, and this is for that Christmas in July at the event, right? She'll be here on yeah. uh, July 22nd. So I believe her hours are from 11 to 2, because uh, as she says in the film, we don't have all day, kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she'll be there gentleman named uh, Jason. He's a super fan from New York. He'll be here. He built a replica of a Christmas story house out of Legos, and he's going to be actually donating it permanently to the collection, and he'll be there that day. And uh, Weber's Premium Ice Cream, Custard and Ice Cream, actually, they'll be there. And they have a pretty neat Higby's connection because somewhere along the line, their recipe for the chocolate malt just kind of wound up in Higby's. Like, not really sure how it got there, but some maybe clandestine way. And (laughs) so they have the original recipe for the Higby's chocolate malt, which people are kind of obsessed with. So they'll be selling that. I heard there's donuts. Yeah, have you seen the Jack Frost Christmas story donuts? No, I read about it and I want to know exactly what it's about. <laughs> okay, so you guys, uh, I don't know if you guys can post pictures on your blog where we you're going to post yeah. this. Yeah. So I'll send you some photos of these donuts because they're absolutely like stunning creations. They're, they are true works of art. They, 
they take like iconic parts of the film and create donuts out of them. So you'll have a pink nightmare bunny donut. There's one with a flagpole with a little, uh, I don't know what it is, maybe like marzipan tongue sticking to it. <laughs> uh, they have a decoder pin one. It's really, uh, you know, I know people say this a lot, but it really takes like donut creation to the next level. So That's cool. I want a donut right now. Okay. <laughs> You have to go over to the west side and get the uh, That's right. Jack Frost. Christmas They're really story good. Donuts. Those Jack Frost donuts are really good. Yeah, I just had them recently for the first time. They're delicious. And they then after have... you eat a bunch of those donuts, you have to go out and practice for our 5K, 10K, That's which right. we have every year. Oh, yeah. When so, is that happening? Uh, December second. Okay. And but the thing is about that is um, we have a medal every year, and the medal's really cool. So this year, our big reveal for it will be at the Christmas in July party. And this year, it's a uh, spinning medal. So I should have actually brought it to show you guys. It's just like, it's kind of framed, and then on the inside you have Flick, and his tongue is on the flagpole. <laughs> and then we have a running leg lamp with a uh, fireman's cap on it. So it spins around. It's that's so, so cool. very unique. Okay, guys, we're signing up to do this. I was just going to say, right I, think you, I, want that I think you have four runners signed up. Can yeah. we be the first four <laughs> to sign up? Uh, I think we have, no. People sign up pretty Those much fans. immediately after the yeah. Your fans are, are dedicated. So, you know, a lot of what you've done, obviously, is capitalize on this, like, really intense fan base. You know, and you talked a little bit about the T-shirts and how people, you know, come wearing 10-year-old T-shirts. What is the most impressive piece of paraphernalia you've ever seen? You know, I've seen so many. It's, uh, people really go all out if you go to like a Christmas story run, you'll see people that are like inflated suits to look like Randy not being <laughs> able to put his arms down. You'll have people running with like a mock sink that they're like with a door that opens. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So it's a, it's a pretty cool like uh, just exploration of people's creativity. Sure, that's so cool. So people really, you know, this is more than just your average run, it sounds like. No, not at all. But people show up at the house and the run wearing pink, their uh, pink bunny suits. That's that's pretty common. If I don't see one at least once a day, I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> that's always a meme, I feel like, during the holidays, Ralphie mm -hmm. in his little pink bunny suit. Yeah. Yeah. How about in the, the gift shop? I know my kids loved the gift shop probably as much as the museum in the house. Oh, really? Yeah. Great. What What are some popular items? Um, I mean, obviously, there's like leg lamp galore. Yes. Like pens and, you know. Pretty much anything that can have a leg lamp on right, it has magnets. a leg lamp on it. <laughs> um, pink bunny suits, those uh, those are really popular. The BB gun. Yes. You my can, son wanted a BB gun. Yeah. We said no this yeah. time. But Did you tell him he'll shoot his eye out? Yeah, we told yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> we also sell like uh, Christmas vacation items, so you can get a moose mug and uh, like an advent calendar that looks like the one from Christmas Vacation. Oh, cool! And yeah. Well, it's our first it's our first Christmas in the space, so we're gonna have to come out and see you guys before the holidays, so that we can get ready to go for our lamp. holiday season. Yeah, we need Definitely our leg lamp, to right. get a leg lamp. We, for our window. Yeah, Shaker Square will have a leg lamp officially glowing <laughs> this holiday season. And speaking of the leg lamp, I'm wondering if you could quickly tell us the history of the leg lamp. Like, was that something that was created for the movie, or was that something they found in a thrift store? Because who would have ever thought that this thing that was considered so garish in the movie, is, especially in Cleveland, around the holidays, homes, businesses, restaurants, you see it everywhere. Mm 
Yeah, so the leg lamp came from the mind of Gene Shepard, who he was uh, the writer that all the Christmas story like stories came from. And his idea was based off of these ads by a company called Nehi. And he wrote this story that I think was something along the lines of the old man and the birth of pop art, something mm-hmm. like that. And that's actually a story that takes place in the summer about him winning this lamp. Isn't it indescribably beautiful, etc. So that's kind of where they got the idea for the to leg bring lamp. Bring in the from. leg lamp. Yeah. The leg lamp actually appears in some like Gene Shepherd PBS stories. Like they would air like, uh, rec- you know, like film adaptations of the stories. So the leg lamp actually showed up before a Christmas story. The actual story. movie. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. When was he writing these stories? 50s, 60s. Okay. He was a popular radio guy that you would hear in New York, Long Island. Um, I think he started in Philadelphia. So the leg lamp kind of led to the creation of the Christmas Story house, right? Was yes. Was that the interest of the founder? Yeah. So the legend goes that Brian Jones, the owner of a Christmas Story house, he received a uh, gag gift present from his parents, and it was a leg lamp. He put it up. All the neighbors would walk by. Wow, that's amazing. Where do I get one? And then he got an idea. I'll make a few, maybe put them on eBay. And then it just kind of just grew from there. So he's got this eBay leg lamp business going. And then also on eBay, a Christmas story house itself goes up for sale. And his wife sends him an email saying, hey, isn't this funny? Ha ha, you should buy it. (laughs) So, of course, he buys it just automatically. Awesome. And he just thought that I could buy this house for you know one hundred fifty thousand dollars, but this would definitely be one hundred fifty thousand dollars of like really good publicity for my leg lamp business. <laughs> and then it just like spiraled into becoming this you know great tourist attraction that it is today. So that's awesome. So it, it seems like the marketing aspect is it's less about promotion, really. It's more about the experience, creating these. These products that you guys can sell and people can take home with them just to have this all the time. I know that part of your role is as a designer. What have you been doing with design? Oh, I do everything from like creating packaging for it and just sketching ideas for just novelty items that we could sell. Are there certain times of year that are more popular? I mean, is holidays like peak? Well, Christmas is peak, yeah. but um, right now, I left and there was a cool house. Wow. Really? So. Amazing. It is amazing. So wait, I actually have a question for the group. So not having seen the movie start to finish. And I know? would just like to one-up you in a major way and say I saw it in the theater when it came out. Whoa. Wow. Awesome. With my mom and my sister. And my mom fell in the parking lot on the ice. What? <laughs> so terrible that I'm laughing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, but, she but, but it's an ongoing joke that my mom says during that whole movie her knee was throbbing. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to put that in, but Oh no, that's, that's, no, that's, that's the best part. I mean, the reality is like so many people have like adjunct <laughs> memories that have to do with seeing the film, and I love it that like you have something that like builds into the mythology. Totally. Well, it is very almost like a Christmas story moment because my is. mom said she remembers looking up and my sister and I like laughing. <laughs> <laughs> 
so caring. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, so my question is, not having seen the movie start to finish, you know, what are Shark and Minnow's favorite moments from A Christmas Story? Um, and, you know, maybe Stephen has some inside tidbits on those. Oh, I know my I like favorite that. moment. Well, there's so many, but one of my favorite that just I crack up so much and my, my kids do is... Um, you know, when they have that disaster with the chicken or the turkey, and so they have to go to that Chinese restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like so, but see, this is what I, when we're talking earlier about what we love about, like, you know, when we're asking you, Stephen, what's so enduring about the movie? And I think another aspect is just the, the and there's so many movies out there that kind of touch upon just the hilarity and ridiculousness, like, that you can experience with your family during the holidays, you know, when you're stressed or, you know, there's fighting or you know everything has to be perfect and it doesn't turn out perfect and I feel like that scene encompasses you know they're in this trainees restaurant there's nobody in there but them and the staff and they're you know which is not true to real life because me and my people we're yes. all at Chinese restaurants that's true <laughs> that's true so there is not a, a, a empty seat in the house let they me were tell taking you. artistic license with that's me. right <laughs> and it's just like the mom is just she's just downtrodden right her like perfect Christmas meal is completely ruined and they just look dejected but it's just so funny and then the staff starts singing and they sing in their broken English <laughs> I was die I just die every time I see that scene and then the mom's crying right she's crying in that scene but then she starts kind of laughing mm -hmm. because she's realizing how ridiculous yeah this is. so real life that's my favorite scene well yeah. and I like to tell you think that that is probably a memory that they would then have forever you know they ended totally. up having probably one of the best Christmases ever so I think that's what's really sweet <laughs> yeah. about that ending mm. and it's you know when you look at it the the waiters they're really trying to comfort this poor family that's <laughs> really suffering so it's kind of like a combination of like two cultures and two families that are really just trying to like get through these holidays you know and it's yeah that's a really sweet scene did you know that the part where they chop off the head that was unscripted because they wanted that reaction from Melinda Dillon? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Incredible. That's and so she cuz she really that. does scream a bit and yeah. jump. She screams and then she laughs. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. So it, so that, that that speaks to that authenticity of oh that my scene. Gosh. So and just a quick <laughs> sidebar I was going to ask I know like you've had certain characters such as Randy and the elf visit the home has any of the other actors like the mother or Ralphie himself been there yet no they haven't but last year I had the pride and joy like this maybe my favorite experience I've had so far was I got to show Zach Ward aka uh, Zach or uh, Scott Farkas I got to show him you know the things that I've done to preserve his uh, famous fox fur hat mm -hmm. so that was really fun are his eyes really yellow no and uh <laughs> he's he's very sweet nice. he's uh he's a very nice guy Good. and this for our run this year our special guest is going to be miss shields teddy moore amazing amazing so we have a uh chalkboard from the school that she had written a plus 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 on uh 10 years ago but that's faded. So my big plan is that when she's here, she's going to sign it again. And then I'm going to encase it, it like under like an acrylic frame. So, mm. 
Well, that's a perfect transition to my favorite part of the movie are, I think, just as a kid who feels, you know, I think I had a pretty active imagination. In fact, my sister used to tell me that the neighbors would think I'm stupid because I was always playing, you know, out loud in the backyard, <laughs> singing. And it's really a kind a, sibling thing a, to say. Yeah, you know, that's, you know, that's a classic older sibling thing. And um, but, so I think I really connected with his, you know, his imagination and, and his fantasy. So I was going to say one of my favorite scenes is when with is the a plus plus where he's the hero and that paper was written and but then the contrast of when you know he sees the grade and you'll shoot your eye out and she's the wicked witch of the west and the mom is the jester it's like just this great like playful nightmarish uh uh scene so that that would be my favorite they're all his um his uh dramatic imagination moments especially being blinded by the by the soap (laughs) Eric, what about you? I'd say my favorite scene is the poll scene. I'm sure that's a lot of people's favorite scene. But the reason it isn't my favorite scene is because I swear every time they have the Christmas Story marathon on TBS, that's where I pick it up. So I, that's where I start the movie. I feel like that's, and that's where I pick it up, where I too. where I end it. So it just becomes, for me, the beginning of the movie. <laughs> that's why I like it. I wonder how many little boys across America try that every winter sticking their tongue on the flagpole. Oh, I know, I know I my brother did. I did, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say about once a year on our Facebook, I'll post a story of some kid in the middle of somewhere that has done it and had <laughs> terrible results <laughs> from oh, it. So. in this ritual is very important. Huh, are you kidding? Stick my tongue to that stupid pole that's dumb. That's because you know it'll stick. You're full of it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like double dog dare you. Now it was serious. A double dog dare. What else was left but a triple dare you? And finally, the coup de grace of all dares, the sinister triple really dog dare. I triple dog dare you. Schwartz created a slight breach of etiquette by skipping the triple dare and going right for the throat. All right, all right. We're so glad that you're here with us today. And as somebody who works very intimately in the Christmas business, we wanted to go through a kind of like a fun little exercise with you if you're game. You game? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. We're going to do a little bit of a round of Christmas, or let, shall we say, holiday, hot or not. So I'm going to turn it over to Jen to take us through our hot or not survey questions. All right. Okay, let's just dive in. Fake tree or real tree? I prefer a real tree. Real tree. Real. Duh. <laughs> real. I would, yeah, I would fifth of that. We chopped ours down every year from a Christmas tree farm, actually. It's a smell, and that's a strong memory of the holidays, Absolutely. really. I grew up with the fake tree. My parents didn't want to deal with the pine needles. Boo. Uh, and I, I told myself as a little girl, I said, when I am a mom someday, I'm going to get a real tree for my kids. <laughs> and so I make my poor husband chop down a tree every year. Um, okay, fruitcake. Yes or no? no? I have never had it. Nor <gasps> have I. We're bringing fruitcake to Shirk and Minnow during the holidays. Oh, I, I want, want to, based on what I've heard. Scared. It is the most disgusting thing ever. Steven? Pass. <laughs> Shout out to the 
people who celebrate Hanukkah, latkes, sour cream, or applesauce? Applesauce. Applesauce. Sour cream. Sour cream. All of the above. Oh. <laughs> and you know what? D- my favorite, yeah, my favorite thing to do around the holidays, I only let myself do it once a year, but I love to go to Corky and Lenny's and get the sandwich that's corned beef in between two potato latkes. It's heavy duty. so decadent. So With applesauce and yeah, sour cream. Well, if you're going to keep it kosher, you got to leave the sour cream out, but, you know, the applesauce is really, you know, it's special. It's just so good. <laughs> Which equals holiday. Yes, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah to all. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, we're going to lights. White lights or colored lights? There is no question, white. Yeah, but like, what about the old school? I like the old school bulb colored. If you're gonna do that, yes. (laughs) That's otherwise white. (laughs) Steven. And they can't blink either. Oh, definitely I like them both. You like them both? Yeah. Okay. I'm a purist, and I would have to agree with Brian. White lights. So now we know what Charcomino is getting this holiday. <laughs> <laughs> White. Brian's like, I care not about your vintage light display. <laughs> no, I do like those. I do. Actually, to be fair, I do have a small tree that I put up in my home office, and um, that one does have the vintage. Okay. Um, right. The vintage screwballs. Okay, I think we all have photos of when we were kids with Santa, but Santa photos at the mall or no? Yeah, sure. No, definitely. I think so. Where else do you do them? I don't know. I think at the mall. Just I think if you find a Santa elsewhere, you probably (laughs) don't want to sit on his lap. (laughs) (laughs) Just say no, kids. (laughs) The best ones are when they're crying. Those are those are my. Although I love the episode of uh, Mad Men when the client makes Roger Sterling dress up as Santa so that everyone can sit on his lap in the office. We're not doing that around the office this year. I'm just putting that out there. But I think it's just such a perfect moment of just, you know, how how, uh, awkward awkward and nutty things can get around the holidays. (laughs) Okay. um, Ugly Christmas sweater or not? I think that's a trend that's written, of course. I think it was clever when you first started seeing the parties and whatnot, but now it seems like something that you see too much of. But I, I do love what Jimmy Fallon does with the Oh my ugly God, sweaters. that is fabulous. My friend has a little side business where he puts kits together and you can buy an ugly Christmas sweater kit. To make your own? To make your own. That's a lot of work. Mm. You have to be really into it. He's really into it. Steven? Steven, have you ever worn an ugly Christmas sweater? No, but I like them if they have leg lamps on them. <laughs> okay, speaking of leg lamps, leg lamps or not, but that's kind of a duh question. Absolutely, you have to have them. I think we've covered this ground. They're a major award. Mm-hmm. When I started working <laughs> for Christmas Story House, my mother was like, you know, Stephen, I really, uh, we don't need a leg lamp. I just I just want to put this out there. <laughs> and uh, now she has a small one. So Perfect. She's in the club. Baby steps. Yeah. Okay, uh, family holiday cards or not? Mm. I like them, and I particularly like them when they're like super awkward. Like, well, like the long letter, like this is what we did in the last year, kind of. No, thing. like <laughs> where people like take really awkward family photos and they send them out. I actually have friends, and, th- th- and when I was living in Boston, that would take 
like they were just roommates, but they would take every year they would take a photo and send out these like incredibly awkward Christmas cards. And I, I really wish they still did it because it was like the highlight of my season. Yeah, I have a, a there's a family that I know that every year they definitely they take the family photo to a, a creative level. So I always look forward to theirs. But yeah, I, I definitely like seeing family photo cards and that seems to be more and more popular with technology. So it's always fun to see, especially these people you don't see forever. And you're like, oh, they have five kids now. When did that happen? <laughs> so I think it's a good touch base that you receive over the holidays. And there's some that are so great, you know, you just want, you want to keep them. They almost become part of a photo album. Yeah, I collect so I'll yeah, yeah, I'll approve that one. Steven? I'm more into the uh, New Year's cards. And uh, my friend... A.K.A. the people that didn't have their act together to send it before <laughs> the holiday. You know, I'm, I'm kind of busy. Yeah. You know? No, so I agree. It's, uh, I agree. Either I do it now or I do it afterwards. Absolutely. So. No. I, I think that's a... If you embrace it, because that's usually what Go I would yeah. pe- have people that actually say, like, this is our traditional after the holiday card. Okay, last question. What is everyone's favorite holiday movie, of course, outside of A Christmas Story? It's a Wonderful Life, but that's my favorite movie ever. So that's mine. Mine are um, I love the Rankin Bass, um, Rudolph, any, and actually any of the Rankin Bass. I would agree with Jen, any of the animatronic specials, and of course, A Charlie Brown Christmas. I don't think there's anybody that, when they hear the beginning notes of the Vince Guaraldi trio opening of, of that special, their heart isn't warmed <laughs> for the holiday season. I actually, I, I, I really like Home Alone. I mean, I know that it's like not like a stylish pick or like, you know, a, a traditional pick. But I just, I always really like that movie. Every time I see it, I think it's really well done. And it makes me smile. I, you know, honestly, I guess I've really grown to enjoy Christmas Vacation. And I remember seeing it in the theater and I didn't like it. And I didn't watch it for years and years. And then we started carrying Christmas Vacation products. So I was like, I guess I have to watch the movie. And I didn't really like it again. But then I watched it again. And now I'm really starting to warm up. And besides that, the Charlie Brown special. Thank you, Stephen, so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. And um, looking forward to holiday with you this holiday season and year-round at a Christmas Story House. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. My Bigger Boat this episode, continuing with our thematic of Christmas in July, goes out to that special tree that's out there soaking in the sun and the summer, but that in a few short months will be the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. Um, 
this is a tradition that's been happening since 1931, and I just think it's fascinating that the way that they actually um, do an aerial search via helicopter to find what the next tree is going to be. Um, It's actually, they have to shut down roads, and they travel during the night to bring it in because it's so large. And I just think it's the perfect rags-to-riches story. Right now it's (laughs) on having its humble beginnings for decades on a farm, and soon it will be in the center of the holiday spotlight and Rockefeller Center in New York City. All right, well, my bigger boat is sort of what I feel is my own very personal little Christmas in July gift, which is the new Twin Peaks series, The Return. And my bigger boat goes out to David Lynch because I cannot stop thinking about or talking about this series. It is a masterpiece. Um, We're only, you know, thankfully, we're only about half of the way in, and I'm already just completely consumed. Uh, I want to go back and rewatch the original first, second series and then also the movie um, so that I can brush up. I'm just completely entrenched and I I appreciate good storytelling like that and um, I'm thankful. So thank you. I especially love how music is integrated into each episode. There's always a portion at the end where they go back to the bar and there's a band that performs and it it's always a band that you know that you recognize like the episode we just watched was Nine Inch Nails but they're supposed to be playing in this small bar in Twin Peaks. And yeah, and you kind of go, did they just say Nine Inch Nails? And then there they are. And it's so, I, it's just so good. And the performances are amazing. Yeah. It's so cool how they integrate yeah. music. Sharon in. Van Etten was on. She was awesome. You know, there were some bands that actually I had never heard of before that I was really excited to learn about. And so I think it's been a really good um way to showcase great art across the board. I read somewhere recently that um, one of the critics was talking, you know, film critics was talking about how David Lynch has perfectly blended art house and narrative storytelling. And I think that's a totally accurate description of what I'm seeing here. And I just, uh, I like never want it to end. <laughs> okay, my bigger boat goes out to Jay-Z and um, just props to his new album, 444. Um, I've just always admired Jay-Z as a storyteller and a poet. And um, this album is probably his most honest and raw. Um, And he just, it's not typical for a rapper to be honest and raw and be vulnerable and talk about things like, you know, infidelity and your wife's miscarriages and what you're going to say to your children because of these infidelities. And I mean, he just lays it all out there. Um, So... Yeah, props, um, and I look forward to listening to the rest of it. Um, I was real. My favorite track <coughs> is the one that's the single that's out right now, "Story of OJ." And not only just musically, it's very compelling, but the story behind it, and I think it's a social commentary on what's going on in the world today, and especially what's happening in our country. So listen to it; it's really good. So the new season of Broad City premieres on August 23rd in Comedy Central, and I cannot wait to see my girls in action with Hannibal Burris, a.k.a. Lincoln Rice DDS, who is my second favorite dentist after Dr. Margaret Richards Franco, of course. She is the bomb.com. Yes, queen. Christmas.
This episode of Open Swim is in support of our friends at United Way, whose mission is to improve lives by mobilizing the caring power of communities around the world to advance the common good. Show your support this Christmas in July at unitedway.org. Open Swim is brought to you by Shark and Minnow, on the web at sharkandminnow.com. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at Shark and Minnow. Technical support and audio production by Eugene Bueller. HR oversight by Marcia Ciccone. Fashion policing by Felicia Winfrey.